We are in part 16 of our Called by God series out of 18. So we are wrapping this series up. And I entitled today's message, The Two-Headed Leader Eater. Now that is only funny to me, uh, but you'll understand why in a moment. And what I want to do is draw your attention to the fill in the blank with a couple thoughts. Paul has been talking to Timothy throughout this whole letter about getting rid of bad leaders. And as he closes that out, he wants to talk about motivation. What's the motivation of the bad guys? Why are there false teachers? Why are people promoting that which is wrong? Wouldn't we all want to know the truth? Wouldn't the truth just make more sense? The bad leaders were using God for their gain. How do you get to a place where you can do that? But anytime we're going to study the word of God and we are maybe even going to examine how monsters are made, what we're supposed to do is make it real personal and start saying, that's what a full monster looks like. How much of that little monster is in me? You know what I mean? We've really, this is why the Bible is written that it would shine a mirror into our souls that we're reading about the other people and saying, oh my goodness, they're the extreme version. I hope I'm never like that. But you're supposed to look and go, but how much of that is already in me? I've shared with you in many times in the past that there's a beautiful book on leadership. I had a young uh, pastor contact me. I'd never met him. He said, I listened to you online. Do you have any recommendations for me as I start my pastorate? And I said, well, a book was given to me when I first started my pastorate by Ken Robillard, the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Roseville. Never forgot it. One of my best favorite books. It's called A Tale of Three Kings. I've shared it with you before by Gene Edwards. Gene Edwards, the study of the three kings is King Saul, King David, and King Absalom. And here's what the book is about. What king is emerging in you as a leader? Are you going to be a Saul or are you going to be a David? Now, those are extreme versions, but there's many versions in all of us, is there not? Are you going to be the obsessive leader of Saul that can't handle anyone else coming into their place and now they're always feeling threatened and they're attacking and lashing out? Is that going to be you? Or are you going to be the leader that says, I'm going to let God build my whole platform What God wants me to do, that I'm going to do. I will not jump over him. I will wait on his timing. Will you be a man after God's own heart? Well, in that exact same way, we look at these examples of these bad guys and say, Lord, what's going on in my heart? Because the two-headed leader eater is greed and pride. If you want to go to the bottom of every issue going on in your own heart, going on in your marriage, going on in your family, going on in our nation, going on in the world. You're going to find those two things. Why? Because of the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. It's what? Selfishness ruins everything. Selfishness ruins everything. I mean, really, let's talk about our marriages, right? Our marriages. The reason we have trouble in our marriages is never because we're trying to outserve each other. That is never the problem. Like, honey, man, you're killing me. Like, all you're doing is like, what can I get for you? What can I get for you? What can, you know, nobody, you know, no one ever said that. And then 
It's the idea that I'm burned out. I'm already done a bunch of stuff and now I need me time and I need my stuff and now you need me and I can't give to you. So I'm going to shut you off, right? At the heart of our nation that is so divided, there's so much selfishness. There's an inability and an unwillingness to sit down and have a conversation without yelling and talk about things that we don't want to talk about and hear someone else's perspective. We're too interested in being right. So greed, pride, it is what created the monsters wrecking the church in Ephesus but does it dwell in us? Would you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 2. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 2. I'm going to read through verse 5, then we'll back up and I'll tear it apart line by line, all right? It says this. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, teach and urge these things, the things that I've been writing you about. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, meaning the gospel, and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. All right. So what did he just say? Timothy, don't let anyone mess with these three areas, the gospel, solid doctrine or teaching of the word of God. Let's be real careful on those three areas. Now, Paul was, Paul was intense about not messing with the gospel. Let me, let me tell you how intense. He said this to the church of Galatia. Galatians 1, 6 through 9. Here's what he said. I am astonished, Galatians, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there's really another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Okay, that's pretty serious, right? Don't mess with the gospel. Well, what's the gospel? It's not complicated. It's super easy. As a matter of fact, there's probably only six parts to it. And I think we got this stuff in our heads, right? So let's kind of go through the checklist. Here we go. Anything about religion anything about god we need to start with jesus yeah all right so we start with jesus who's jesus so the gospel is this jesus is the one and only son of god who came and took on humanity became the full god full man to reach his people yeah can we all agree on that all right awesome we got that one now the way he got here 
is that the Holy Spirit brought him in through Mary. It was not through another dude. Therefore, it is a virgin birth. Are we all good on that one? All right, good. We got that one. Third one. He lived the perfect life and died on the cross. We all understand the cross. So he died on the cross and he suffered for our sins. Yeah, we good? All right, cool. He was buried and raised again on the third day and ascended up into heaven so that we might have eternal life. Cool? Everybody, are we all good? All right, that is the gospel. You don't mess with the gospel. In other words, if anyone comes up to this lectern, this pulpit, this podium, and starts sharing things that are contrary to the core of the gospel, we got a problem, right? The gospel is simple, but the gospel needs to remain pure. If someone starts coming in and they're going, listen, I just want to talk about Jesus. I don't know. He's a really good teacher and everything, but I don't, you know, hold on. He was a good teacher, but what are you trying to tell me? If you start arguing with me that Jesus is not God, we're going to have a difficulty. I have no problem debating and discussing with you and talking with you about it, but you can't preach here. You understand what I'm saying? Like, that's not what we're going to do. Because in this place, we have a high value of the gospel. Okay, but there's more stuff than that. He didn't just say gospel. He also said, all right, make sure the bad guys aren't messing with solid doctrine. This is where things start getting a little bit crazier. Because in some of our minds, everything's doctrine, right? Whatever we believe, we call it doctrine. Please don't do that. Doctrine is any truth that supports the gospel, meaning the core of the gospel, are there specific teachings that lead to that? For example, the deity of Jesus is a doctrine that supports the gospel. Does that make sense? All right. So that's doctrine. You go, man, so like what's, what's legit doctrine? Because is it like baptism? And is it, well, hold on. There's something neat about being part of a church that has existed for 2,000 years. People have fought and sorted out some core issues throughout history. And when I say fought for, I mean there were times when there was battles with, is this person a heretic? And if they were branded a heretic, they died. Like, this is not messing around. When we share ancient documents like the Apostles' Creed, When we share things like the Nicene Creed, when we share things of early writings, some people died for that. It is not just a simple, oh, that's cute. No, no, no. They're trying to get it right. Have you all heard of the Apostles' Creed? Yeah, of course you have. You raised Catholic, you even know this one, right? You could probably say it along along with me. I'm going to read the Apostles' Creed because it's one of the earliest doctrinal statements. So the short form of it, was written about 215 AD. Now, why is that important? If you take Jesus, he dies, let's say around 30, 33 AD. Well, John outlived him by quite a bit. So Revelation is a later book. Paul didn't even meet Jesus until the road to Damascus. And that was after Jesus was resurrected. So Paul's ministry lasted longer, but he wrote before the gospel writers. By the time you get done with the New Testament, you only go about 50 more years and you have the Apostles' Creed. So it's pretty close to the original time, right? That's the short form. 
I'm going to read the long form. The long form was not locked down until 542 AD, way later, but here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Now, y'all remember Catholic means universal. I believe in one body, right? Okay. I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. That's the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed lists out core doctrines that support the gospel. That's pretty much the majority of all the doctrine pieces that we're talking about. Once again, there's not 32 of them. There's not a huge amount. Not everything you believe is doctrine in the way they're talking about doctrine. Because here's the problem. Our nature these days is to split over everything. Man, we got to divide about all kinds of stuff. And if you want more details, you can read the Nicene Creed that was written in 325 AD. That talks a little bit more about the Holy Spirit and who is really Jesus and stuff like that. Okay, cool. But we start making everything doctrine. Man, I believe in, I believe in this and this is when Jesus is coming back. And if you don't believe that Jesus is coming back in the exact same time that I believe, we can't hang out. We can't be in the same church. And all of a sudden we start splitting and splitting and splitting and splitting. Denominations started with a certain amount of beauty. There was some richness in original denomination setup, where people had some, some ways of connecting with the Lord, and it was beautiful and right. And sometimes that's why they had their own denomination, was they said, I believe it's most honoring to the Lord like this. And there was richness in it. But then what happened? We blew it. And denominations became a way to divide. How do we know that? Well, because you could have a Baptist church on one side of the street and a Methodist church on the other side of the street and they won't talk to each other. That's not Jesus. So the younger generation started having a problem with it. My generation wrecked it, right? I'm generation X. We came in afterwards and said, these denominations are more of a problem then they're a help, and we started dismantling them. So in other words, you started seeing a church that used to have Baptists in its title, and it was pulled off. You began to see, it used to say Assembly of God, that was pulled off. You began to see, right, they all started getting pulled off. Why? Because they were more divisive than encouraging. And here's the deal. It's not that the denomination was always wrong. It was that we wreck good things. It's why, why Jesus goes, that's why we can't have nice things. 
Y'all mess it up, right? I'm trying to do something cool here and you guys screw it up. Well, by the time you get to the millennial generation and my kids' generation, literally they'll say this. Hey, dad, I was at school and um, this guy said that his uncle was an Episcopalian. What's that? And I go, oh, honey, that's a denomination. She goes, what's a denomination? There you go. All right, so they're being erased completely. Now, there's a big pro to that that you either are in the family of God or you're not in the family of God. I love that unity. But one of the challenges along the way is we're always looking to divide. We're scared of different. Oh, do you believe different than me? Well, then we can't hang out. Now, I want to be honest. Y'all might be my brothers and sisters, but it doesn't mean that we can always do ministry together because we may see how it's done so different, right? Okay, but it doesn't mean we're not family. It just means we're not going to do ministry together that day. All right, but we still love each other. We still respect each other. We still listen to each other. We still worship together. We can still pray together. There's a million things we can do, but we can't do everything together because we see things different. All right, having said all of that, he said, let's be careful on the gospel. Let's make sure our core doctrines are solid. And then I need you to watch these guys for teaching. Teaching, in my opinion, means the spirit and the authenticity by which the word of God is shared. Okay? We have to make sure that what we're teaching leads to godliness. Y'all, we pick pastors for really weird reasons. We pick churches and leaders that we listen to on the radio and listen to on TV for things like, is he fascinating? Does he keep my interest? Is he kind of funny? Does he have information I've never heard before? This is why we select them. That is not why you select a pastor. You select a teacher if what they're teaching you results in life change. Why? If we're not more like Jesus, then everything is merely being impressive and not impacting. You're not going to know that right away, are you? Because you may come in and go, dang, that was awesome, right? Whatever I just heard, whoa, I'm super excited. But a year later, you're the exact same person. Now, you can always resist teaching, right? I mean, once again, I, I only have 45 minutes with you a week. That's not, I'm not going to be able to impact you in the way that I would love to impact you like a personal discipleship. But what I'm teaching should be so much loaded with the word of God that I'm guaranteed that it won't return void. Does that make sense? Meaning I'm sowing it into you, whether it takes root or not, I don't know. But all I know is that God will keep hounding you until that truth becomes real. So that's why I always want to have it heavy in the word of God so that I know he creates transformation, whether or not my funny little opinions create anything, right? You are my fruit and proof. That makes me nervous. Does it not? Does it not? I mean, we got to find out, is this really making a difference? What we're doing together, what we're going through, what we're teaching, what we're studying. Is it making any difference? Because the Bible says that we will produce fruit if our root is right. Are we all clear? All right. Galatians 5, 22. 
but the fruit of the spirit is. All right, we're going to do a real quick diagnostic. You ready to go? Okay, here's what it means. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you should be ever increasingly becoming more like Jesus in the following areas. So let's play a test. Here we go. First one, uh, for the fruit of the spirit is love. Are you more loving now than you were last year? Or are you less? Are you more loving? And I don't mean loving in some wimpy way. I mean like God loving, which means you're interested in other people's benefit, right? It's not about you. Are you unselfishly loving towards more people or not? Because if you're not, why is the Holy Spirit getting blocked? If he's in you, he's pumping. How come it's not getting through your veins, right? Here we go. Love, joy. Do you have more joy in your life than you did last year? Because here's what you're going to say, brother. I don't know if you understand, but our nation is messed up. Okay, so this whole joy level thing, I don't know, 2008, our entire economy collapsed. We were trying to rebuild. We're all kind of messed up. And now all of a sudden we go through this last election cycle and there's just chaos and there's problem. Man, my joy level is low. I'm sorry, did you just tell me your circumstances dictate the Holy Spirit's power? Is that what you just told me? Well, you're trying to tell me your circumstances dictate your joy level? Oh, no. Paul's talking about joy while Nero is emperor. I don't know what you think is in the White House. It ain't Nero. (laughs) Y'all following me? Because here's the deal. Nero burns people alive on public television. Nero just attacks and kills Christians anytime he wants. And Paul talks about joy. So please do not tell me that the circumstances of our nation are going to disrupt your joy. It's got nothing to do with it. Love, joy, what? Peace. Here we go. Peace. Do you have more peace? Oh, my life is hard. I know. Do you have peace? Why? Because your peace is coming from an internal place and manifesting outward. It is not an external moving in, right? So Paul and Silas are singing hymns in jail. Their circumstances were not awesome. They didn't just need to use a fan in church, right? I mean, they were, they were chained to the wall, all right, in some cold, crazy. Have you ever been to some of those prisons over the ancient prisons? Like I got to go to the, the Roman prison where Paul was, was in. And I, I'm 6'3", I'm a super tall dude. I could not stand up except for in the middle because it's a dome. Anywhere I went off center, I had to squish down. Now, they were little, Right. Paul was probably, I don't know, maybe five, six. All right. So he was way smaller. But the point is, it was a cramped, dank, nasty place. And he's singing hymns to the Lord and counting it all joy. All right. Love, joy, peace. What? You got this? Patience. Are you more patient than you were a year ago? Why should you be more patient? Because for a year, God has cut you slack. That's why. For a year, God has been like, didn't we talk about this 42 times yesterday? You know what I mean? (laughs) You're supposed to, over time, realize, wow, God's good to me. I should be super cool to other people and cut them some slack because he keeps cutting me some slack. Let me tell you a story. So the other night, 
uh, Susie and I went and we had dinner with three other pastoral couples. And what we ended up doing, we went into a hundred year old house, this beautiful house in Lincoln, hundred year old house. And it was, it looked like a movie set, right? Like they had chase lounges. I don't even understand what a chase lounge is. I don't know. I'm like, I don't even know how to sit on it, right? It's just weird. Unless I drape over while someone's painting me, you know, one of those kind of things. Very uncomfortable. Anyway. So we're in there and there's this like beautiful seating room and the hostess is a songwriter and piano player. She goes to the piano and, and, and they're playing all these old hymns and songs. I have no idea what the heck's going on. I'm like, what world did I get dropped into? I'm like, it's in a wonderful world. Like I'm sitting in there, everyone's singing all together. I mean, and we're in this postcard looking place. I was like, man, this is so crazy. Then she says this, she said, I mean, no disrespect. And it was very clear in her heart. She did not. She said, but as a songwriter, I listened to these 21 and 22 year old worship leaders write songs about how difficult life has been. And she goes, and I think, oh, honey, you have no idea. (laughs) It's all going to get way harder. Now, here's what she meant. In that moment, the 21 and 22 year old worship leader is honest. They're very truthful. They have seen pain. But what she was trying to say is as you go on in life, you get a certain perspective on things and there is a richness to what you're writing about and talking about. Okay. In the same way, there should be a richness that we've been walking with God for a year and we should be more patient today than we were before. Are we going backwards? It says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Are you being kind? Are you being kind? Goodness. Are you being like God? Faithfulness. Are you more a man or woman of your word than you were a year ago? Because here's the problem. We go, oh, pastor, you know, nowadays, man, it's commitment phobic, right? I never know what I'm going to do. I can't commit to anything. I don't know if we're going to move. I don't know if we're going to. Wherever you go, are you faithful? Are you a man or woman of your word? Because that's what Jesus is. What about gentleness? Here's how I see kindness and gentleness. Have you guys ever tenderized meat? Okay, here's the deal. How do you make meat tender? You beat the living daylights out of it. Man, have you ever seen those mallets? They're brutal. And it's like, it used to be a little plump chicken breast, right? And then you're just like, yeah! And you're just beating the snot out of it. And it's like, ah, it finally gives in, right? And it just lays flat, right? Okay, y'all, you should have had the meanness beat out of you by Jesus over the last year. Seriously, life wasn't hard enough for you? You didn't get tenderized? You should have had all that, uh, what, curmudgeon beat out of you, right? Here's the deal. If you are over 65 years old, you should have the curmudgeon beat out of you by now. What's weird is sometimes we get more curmudgeonly. How in the world does that work? You should be, by the time you get to your deathbed, you should be like, we all cool. We're all, I don't even care. Like, I, whatever. (laughs) Like, fine, fine. Eat the dessert first. I don't care. Y'all gonna die anyway, so... (laughs) right? (laughs) Has there been any impact of the Holy Spirit churning you and churning you and tenderizing you and softening you over a year? 
you should be nicer now, right? And then the last one is self-control. Is your life have more drama or less drama? Because you may be allowing everything else to push you and push you into a mold and start dictating that you have to do things a certain way. But God says we're supposed to be counterculture. Now, when I look at this list, I got to be honest with you. There are some serious backsliding in my life. I'm not going forward advance on all these things. There's no way. I'm looking, I'm like, man, there's a little bit more drama than there was before. There's a little bit more demand. I'm not quite as in control of some things, right? But I know it can't be a root problem. The Holy Spirit is in me. So what's wrong with the pipes? Because it's not coming out in the fruit. And almost always, the answer is surrender. The Lord goes, can you get out of my way for a second? Quit telling me to stop touching that, right? That's what we do. Lord, there's an area of my life. Okay, stop touching it. We'll talk about it tomorrow. (laughs) Will we really talk about it tomorrow? Because I think here's how the conversation is going to go tomorrow. Stop touching that. It happens every time. He said, when people want things other than the truth, usually it's because of reasons like this. So let's check our hearts on these, okay? Puffed up with conceit. In other words, people start to think they know better than the Word of God. They think they're more modern and enlightened than Scripture. They think they're more advanced. You got any of that going on in your spirit? Where you're reading the Word of God and you're like, you get, you're like, oh, amen, 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 until it hits a part in your life. And you're like, well, that's kind of archaic and out of date. <laughs> Is it? Is it? Uh, now, we need to fight to understand what he really intended. But I don't think that we stand in judgment on the word of God. You understand? He's God, we're not. So the whole idea of pride is kind of silly. It's like, I'm the Lord of the flies. You know what I mean? And you're like, you're still a fly. You know, like, you're a big fly. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you're like one of those slow-moving, hovering flies. Horse flies, right? But, But you're a fly. Okay. Here we go. He said, these leaders, they're not only puffed up with conceit, they understand nothing. They're either unwilling or unable to receive truth. Why? The Bible says that God's truth is spiritually discerned. If you've shut that off, you're not listening anymore. Every year around Easter time and Christmas time, if you turn on the History Channel, they're going to talk about Jesus. And you're going to hear a bunch of scholars who are smarter than you talk about a historical Jesus and they don't even know him. It's spiritually discerned. There's nothing going into their heart. It's all head knowledge. They know more history data than you do, but you've been transformed and they have not. He said, and what it causes is people sometimes have an unhealthy craving for controversy Okay, controversy, have you ever met anybody that wants to know and reveal something first? So they're less concerned about truth than posting out the newest thing that they find out is later is fake news? That's embarrassing, right? Because they're not interested in accuracy. They're interested in impressing people. So they're firing all the time new things, whatever's new coming across the waves. That's not us. We're not supposed to be those people. We're supposed to be more interested in truth. 
What are we sowing into the world around us and into our families? Okay, he said sometimes they have an unhealthy craving for quarrels about words. Those are people who are competitive with everyone else and everything is about an argument. Are you that person? Man, you know, coming in to Christmas time, you're gonna get together at a family thing and one of your relatives is going to bring something up controversial, stir the pot and cause a problem. Is that you? Are you that person that everyone has to gear up for? And they're like, oh, I don't really want to sit next to Uncle Alex. I want to, you know, and they're like all trying to scoot over, right? They put you at the kid's table, right? They should, right? Sometimes we have an unhealthy desire to just fight about stuff and to always be right. Let's say you are completely right, but you're a jerk. Does that really do anything for Jesus? It really doesn't. We've got to be careful on that. He said, when you have a constant spirit of controversy, it creates this kind of stuff in, in all of us. Envy. Y'all know what envy is? Envy, incessant craving for things or positions possessed by somebody else. It's constant competitive comparison. Y'all know comparison, right? Man, it's so hard not to fall into that. Comparison. Well, they do this and... Let me, let me give you a real quick wisdom piece. Life's not fair, right? You just need to soak that one in. We're not on an even playing field. Now, sometimes God does cool stuff to level it a little bit more even. Like for example, everybody know who David Beckham is? David Beckham, soccer player. One of the best looking men in the world. Thank the Lord he has a terrible voice. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying it's a balance of the equation. You understand what I'm saying? Mike Tyson, same thing. Okay, All, that's, just, that's just the Lord writing things. Okay. <laughs> and you're like, what's your point? I have no idea. I, I just lost it right there. Life's not fair. It's not supposed to be. We're all in different seasons. We all have different gifts. We're all in different environments. And so when you keep looking across at somebody else and say, how come I don't have what they have? You're not supposed to have what they have. It's just not right. He said there becomes dissension, strife, where people become opponents rather than brothers, where there's division in the body of Christ, when there's camps in the body of Christ and you create an us versus them attitude. Does that ever happen in church? Oh man, all the time, right? He said, it leads to slander. Slander is malicious talk and abusing someone else's character. Okay, let me give you a couple rules on how to debate and argue. You can critique people's behavior. You can critique the information. Do so respectfully, but what you cannot do is attack their character, right? So it's one thing to say, wow, your behavior right in this area is seems super immature. I'm not sure you're listening. That's very different than saying you're a baby, right? You know, you may say, wow, I'm not seeing the facts coming together as opposed to going, you're an idiot, right? Because one is attacking the person's worth and value and character. That is not what Christians do. Our job is to debate with a healthy mindset, right? In a respectful way. Okay, let's keep moving on. He said, it leads to evil suspicions. And that's where you just don't wanna hang out with other people. 
You know what I mean? You don't want to hang out. Why? Because they're not just wrong. They're bad. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? They're not just wrong. They're bad. Okay. We got to be careful on that. When you start calling other people and their views evil, are you sure it's evil or does it just disagree with you? Right? He said in the end, it leads to, quote, constant friction among people who are depraved in mind, deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. They're not listening anymore, and they're using God for their betterment. That's not right. Are we doing that? Are we using God for just our betterment, or are we looking to advance his kingdom? Because we love him, right? All right, let's pick it up in verse 6. Here's the positive side of it. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food, clothing, and shelter with these, we will be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain godliness being like god some of us need to re-rack what that means in our minds we think being like god means more limitations and restrictions we think it means more rules it does not being like god means more freedom and more power how do we know it how did jesus walk how did he live he was not hampered by anything He did everything he wanted to do. Why? Because he only wanted to do what the Father wanted him to do. So he walked through this world in max power and authority, and he was not bound by anything. Everything we call our freedoms is an opportunity to put ourselves in bondage. For example, Jesus can walk through the mall without being overwhelmed in materialism. We can't. Man, we walk through the mall and we have allowed so many influences and we get chains on our wrists all the way through the mall. Man, I don't have that. I don't have that. I probably couldn't even afford that. And what's going on with me? And why does that person look like they always dress better than me? And they seem to have more money than me. And you're pulling into the car park and man, everybody's got a nicer car than me. And you're letting it affect your spirit. That's bondage. Jesus is like, I don't care what anybody drives. I don't care what's going on around me. Why am I in the mall? I got something to do. And I'm going to go through it peaceful. I'm going to sing. I'm going to be able to go, oh, look, that song's about me on the radio during Christmas. (laughs) Right? Man, Jesus can walk through and if his somebody that he's ministering to is in a bar, he can go in the bar and walk out healthy. All us, we got all kinds of bondages. We can't even walk by a bar without going, dang, I really need to get in there and get a drink. What did we do with his freedom? Man, there's, there's ministry we would love to do to other people, but we're not pure enough to even do the ministry. We're the ones putting the weights on us. We're the ones putting the heaviness. We're the ones putting the restrictions, not Jesus. Jesus is about maximum freedom and maximum power. Man, don't we want godliness with contentment because then we have great gain. Y'all following? This is super important. All right, here we go. He said, but here's the problem. Verse nine. 
But those who desire, and that's determined greed, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. They don't even see it coming. And they fall into a snare, a super hard trap to get out of. Into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge, that immerse, that sink, that shove the head under of people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced, impaled, stabbed themselves with many pangs and painful troubles. All right. Let me be very clear on what we're talking about and what we're not. We are not talking about the wealthy. We are talking about those who desire to be wealthy. Big difference. In two weeks, when we close out this series, I'm going to talk about the wealthy. And as a matter of fact, if God has given you wealth and it came relatively natural to you, you're actually a gift to God and a gift to the church. And it's awesome. You don't need to carry any guilt about that. That's awesome. You're beautiful and blessing. I'm talking about all the rest of us that don't have that gift, but we want what you have. You all making, does that make sense? Those who desire to be rich, an inability to be content, a constant longing for more, an envy to those that do have more, a fighting and a compromise to get there because that greed begins to break down the best part of us. Let me cut right to the heart of it with an analogy. Have you ever had your kids say, hey, dad, hey, mom, can we hang out for a second or can we talk? And you go, sorry, hon, I'm doing something. And usually it's work, right? You ever done that? Your little kids want to spend time with you and you tell them, no, I'm working on my laptop or whatever it is. You just miss the opportunity and said, I'm willing to compromise here so that I can get more of this as opposed to sewing into what is most important. Now, let me be clear. It's fine if there are boundaries about work time, right? And if your kids, like, let's say you work at home and you have work hours and the kids are like, I'm bored. Can we do something? You're like, no, right? Totally normal. But I'm talking about off work time. You just can't let things go. And you just always are longing for more and more and more. And you push your kids off more and more and more. That's what I'm talking about. I know what that's like, y'all. I can be that guy. At what cost are we doing this? Just after I preached last night, I was uh, trying to chill out and watch some Netflix show or whatever it was. And my daughter came down. And many times I usually just leave the laptop open kind of like as an indicator, like, hey, we got, we got a few moments here, right? And last night when she walked up to ask me about creative writing she wanted to do, I shut the laptop and slid it away. Why? Because there's no barrier now. Now it means, honey, you can have all the time you need. But I did that after preaching the message. <laughs> Not before. When the world becomes not a blessing, but a place to conquer, when people start to become a block to what you want or leverage to get you there, greed has taken a part of your heart. 
And we can't do that. We can't do that. He said, ultimately, it's going to sink you. Because discontent is all about the heart. More stuff's not going to fix it. It's never going to fix it. He said, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Notice he didn't say money is the root of all evil. He did not say that. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Let me, let me tell you this. Um, I have a bunch of different little hobbies that are weird. One of my hobbies, and y'all can judge me later, but <laughs> one of my hobbies is I love true crime. I love listening to podcasts on true crime and sorting it out and trying to figure out who did it and all that stuff. And listen, it's real scenarios. And I'm putting clues together and all that stuff. Don't get me wrong. Some of it gets super dark and it totally destroys my spirit. So I'm, I'll just save you an email. I know. Okay. You don't need to tell me. I got it. But I was listening to a podcast on true crime and it was a triple murder and the, they were asking a, a, a witness in there and they said, do you know who did it? And he said, man, follow the money. If you follow the money, you'll always find out who did it. Why? Because greed makes us do weird things and it distorts us and we start doing things we never thought we would do. And so you just need to realize that it's either going to be some form of pride or some form of greed that's really at the heart of all crime. It's at the heart of all dysfunction, right? So how much of it dwells with us? I know we're talking about the monsters, but how much of that monster's in me, right? I love this. Uh, uh, one of the commentaries that I looked at for this series is by Philip Riken. Uh, he said that in his mother-in-law's kitchen, she has this plaque up. It says, contentment is knowing that if I'm not satisfied with what I have, I will not be satisfied with what I want either. There you go. How about hanging that in your kitchen? Right? <laughs> Dang, that's awesome. Can I have the prayer team come on up here as we close? Listen, the heart is please do not leave Thanksgiving going into Christmas. Right? Thanksgiving, we're like, Lord, you are good. We have a bounty. It's the only time we use the word bounty in the entire year. Lord, there's a bounty here. Unless you have a pilgrim's hat on, please don't say the word bounty or cornucopia. Neither one of those are acceptable. But we're like, Lord, you are good. You've given us so much. We are so thankful. And then in Christmas, we're like, get out of my way. It's my sale, right? <laughs> right? Please don't leave Thanksgiving heading into Christmas because you're still over abundantly full. Um, here's what we're going to pray about. And I'm just going to pray a general prayer over us. And then if there's special healing that needs to happen in your heart. That's what the prayer team is here for. We're going to pray that they're anointed to bring full breakthrough in these areas. Two areas. Number one, pride. If the Lord has been revealing, going, wow, you're fighting me all the time lately. Everything that I bring up about change, you're not having it. You keep telling me what's up and what I'm supposed to recognize. I'm God. If that's you, we got a pride problem. The second one is if enough does not seem to be enough, 
And you'll know by your habits and your spending things and your work habits, things like that. You'll know. If enough is not enough, we got a greed problem. So I'm going to pray for all of us. Some of us are like combo pack people. We got both those, okay? Right, like me. All right. Let's just pray for that, and then we'll pray that this team can break through the rest. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, in this environment of richness of your word, where you set people free and you make them stronger and more powerful, Lord, we have lowered ourselves, we have diminished ourselves. We've lessened ourselves through letting greed rise, pride rise, And so, God, we're praying right now that you would open our eyes, that we would say no more to that garbage. So, God, we need to be free to be able to walk where we need to walk and do what we need to do. We need your truth to set us free. So right here in this atmosphere, we lift up to you our hearts of greed and pride and say, Lord, purify us. Make us new. Change our hearts. And would you, Holy Spirit, anoint this altar and these prayer leaders. God, that when they begin to pray, all the rest of the shackles begin to fall. That we might be completely free as we emerge from this place. In Jesus' name, amen.